0: Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Talking With WIT, Kevin and Son. Today, I'm bringing you someone very special, probably one of the most important people that I've met, someone that you should know, um, someone in in Hollywood that everyone knows. Um, When you talk about must be the music, you cannot talk about music uh, in the business of music, film, or commercials without knowing the name Daniel Fox. Today, uh, this episode is brought to you by uh, RMK Productions and the 10 United Podcast Network. Our mission is through the power of our stories. We want to uplift through our voices, inspire, share stories and experiences and perspectives using a framework of teaching, learning, and modeling. Our purpose is very simple, hope. This show is all about people you should know. And today, we are going to learn about one of the most successful people in the business of music in Hollywood. Mr. Daniel Fox, we want to learn how he started, how his name is attached to some big productions, some big names um, in the music industry and as well as Hollywood. We're going to talk about some of the things he's currently doing now and working on. And if you stick around long enough, you'll learn about, well, you may learn how to get in touch with Daniel and maybe get some of your music and some of these things. You never know. Now, dreams do come true on this show. So, without further um, delay, I want to tell you a little bit about Mr. Daniel Fox. Daniel Fox is an engineer, producer, educator, and consultant. He is own he is the owner of Wondersmith Audio and Professional Recording Works. Um, and his music can be heard on uh, Pop Warner, Warner Brothers, Comedy Central labels, and hun- hundreds of other independent productions. iTunes top ten charts, you name it. Daniel has been there. He is on the list of everything he he's attached i'm not even going to try to name some of the big names that he's attached i'm going to let daniel do that but daniel i want to welcome you to uh, our show thank you thank you for taking uh time out and that's a beautiful background you have there daniel
1: (laughs) well i'm lucky enough that it's actually a it's a real uh it's the real background um in my backyard and i feel very fortunate for that
0: all right i was just watching um some things up in boston a couple uh yesterday they were diving into um, your, your lake and everyone had winter coats on. That looks like summertime back there, Daniel.
1: Oh, no, there's no there's no lake back here.
0: All right. It's beautiful.
1: <laughs> but. But yeah, I mean, I love lakes, but, you know, you flatter me, Kevin. Thank you for your introduction. I'm definitely not a household name in the film or audio industry. And I, that's and that's completely fine with me. But I have had the you know, I've been fortunate to work on some really cool things and happy to share about any of that.
0: Well, let me tell tell the audience. Um, several weeks ago, I was in Boston. Um, there was a big production of um, um, uh, creators of um, Black films. And Daniel was one of the keynote speakers um, there. And that's how I, uh, I met Daniel. And I was very impressed with his story, some of the things he did. And I was not aware that someone of his stature was part of the reason why music made it into films and how people got their music attached and and I got a chance to briefly talk to Daniel and found out he was just a wonderful per- person. He is, I believe he's a father, um, and uh, I'm going to confirm that. He's um, just a good person, and this is one of these people that you should know. And uh, um, I know it's hard to, to accept uh, compliments when you've accomplished so much, but um, I want the people to know where you came from. I know I met you in Boston. I don't know if you're originally from, from there, but I know there's mom and dad and you know some other people that came in your life um high school where did you graduate from
1: uh, i'm from lynn massachusetts um so i graduated from public school in lynn, lynn, lynn english high school um actually before that my family was in was in uh roxbury um but i was little so most of my life i was in lynn massachusetts and then here this is when the listeners go lynn lynn city of sin <laughs> because everybody knows that uh you know, I've had to overcome that um, that stigma of Lynn for my whole life, but it's okay. I'm at peace with it. Um, now, nowadays, I don't, I don't live in Lynn anymore. I now live um, in Acton, which is out northwest of Boston. But I still have lots of family in Lynn, and I love love it there. But yeah, my um, uh, yeah, my 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 mom is an immigrant from Germany. Um, came here for college, uh, you know, when she was young, and my dad is is Jewish American who you know um uh both of them worked well in the end they are both are college professors so i'm very fortunate to have a family that's um you know in the in the education world and um, has sort of connections in that world and values education because that that was something really important to me but actually my dad's whole history which we won't go into is really interesting and he did everything from being a sheet metal worker, a general electric to a cab driver to, um, to being an acoustician and a physicist and a college professor and a high school teacher. It really likes the whole map. So I got to see all kinds of interesting things um, growing up and um, you know kind of on one hand, the, the privilege of ha- access to education and educators. Um, but also growing up, you know, in a working class town, you know, you know I was, um, my dad was working at General Electric, I, I ended up working for the post office for a while when I was young. Um, so I, I've had all kinds of interesting jobs, my path has been a little bit non traditional. But your question was about where I came from, I would say it's, it's Lynn, Massachusetts, predominantly, and um, my parents played a big role
0: all right you you are your father of one or 13. (laughs) Uh, oh me oh the reason yeah you your father one of 13. the reason why i say 13 because i grew up catholic is 13 of us so uh, i automatically assume that everyone that's catholic has double digits how about you
1: okay well i'm not catholic um but uh, my i have my father had a first marriage so there's four kids and then the second marriage there's two so i have uh five other siblings and they range in age like really, really widely. So um, the youngest of us is 43 and the oldest is um, 72.
0: All right. So, and, I, and I know you have one, one child, because when I met you, you were running late um, um, to, to do some outing with at least one of them. So I have,
1: I have two kids. I have um, an 18 year old from a previous relationship and I have a four year old and we have a third coming in two months.
0: Congratulations. <laughs> congratulations. So you, you said you had a plethora of, of jobs. Um, there, there's, I, I don't know if there's a degree to, to get into this type of business or whatever. Um, there is,
1: I don't have it. Don't
0: have it. <laughs> so how did you break into the business?
1: Um, I, I would I guess that my entry point was through education. So essentially, uh, I went to college for sociology. I have a degree in sociology i i entered college i mean I've, it's it's squirrely it's all over the map sometimes you meet people and they say oh I, you know i went and i studied this and then i got a job in that and i've been doing it ever since well um mine's not as packaged and neat as that so i went into college thinking i want to be a, a physics major i spent a couple months doing that and i was like oh no, no way it wasn't for me i i love the concepts of physics but the actual practice of doing it wasn't really what i wanted to be doing So I kind of meandered around in college and ended up as a sociology major with a concentration in race and ethnicity. Um, And by the way, my mother is a sociologist and my father is a physicist. So Hmm. it's kind of funny how these things work out. But from there, I ended up working in youth work. So I had a job during college working at a youth center in Poughkeepsie, New York, where I went to college. And after um, college, my first job at age 21 was at a boys and girls club in Lynn, Massachusetts, where I grew up. And they, uh, you know, I convinced them to invent a title for me, it was, um, I'm going to forget it now, it was creative and cultural director, you know, which sounds really fancy when you're 21, but basically it means I did music and art stuff with kids, um, ages 6 to 18. And then I spent three years there, and from there I got the opportunity to work at an organization in East Boston called Zumix, Z-U-M-I-X. Um, it's a nonprofit art, arts organization, and they do uh, all, all kinds of music, primarily music-related activities with with kids, also age six to eighteen. But I worked with teens, so there I ended up as the director of creative media and technology, and I taught um, music production. Well, let me let me take a step back. When I first started, when I was in my young, you know, in my twenties. I was teaching music production primarily because I was producing hip hop beats. And so it, it it was something that kids wanted to learn about. I could come in and teach that. But the reality is that there was, it was an opportunity in the sense that nobody else was doing that work at Zoomix. They needed somebody who was enthusiastic, who would come in and um, kind of build that programming. And I was there at the right time because I got to build design curriculum for that, also um, recording, live sound those were kind of the three core elements music production music recording and mixing and then live sound like you know sound reinforcement for concerts and i was not a professional yet so i was kind of thrown into the fire and when somebody tells you teach me how to do when somebody says how do i do this well then you go and you figure it out Hmm. so i spent 17 years at zoomix and that was a period of huge a period of huge growth um, by the time I left, I was director of creative media and technology. We had a radio, we have a radio station, uh, live, you know, per, sort of state-of-the-art facility in an old firehouse, um, live sound performance venue, recording studio, multimedia lab, you know, teaching rooms, uh, all, all kinds of stuff. And from there, um, you know, kind of school of hard knocks. Uh, I didn't get any other degrees after my. I haven't yet after my bachelor's degree in sociology, and I ended up. Uh, Teaching at Tufts University, where I teach now, and also expanding my self-employed, my business, my audio business, much more than it had been. That was one of the main reasons that I moved on from the nonprofit sector was to pursue my audio business.
0: All right. So for our listeners just tuning in, um, we are talking to um, Daniel Fox. Um, He's um, on the East Coast. He's in the business of music and um we're going to learn uh, a little bit about um uh, exactly what he's doing right now uh he's going to talk about his current uh, uh business that he's doing uh he may touch upon some of the people he uh, worked has worked with but real quick um uh, Daniel someone wanted to get in touch with you uh, before we get um in deeper into in, into your life current day and uh in future how would they get in touch with you
1: Sure. Probably the easiest is just to go to my website, uh, which is wondersmithaudio.com, just the way it sounds, wonder, W-O-N-D-E-R-S-M-I-T-H, audio.com, and there's a contact page there, and you can see all kinds of information.
0: All right. And for those of you that are um, uh, looking at Daniel right now, this is Daniel uh, Fox, not uh, Ben Affleck. (laughs) um he looks just like him he sounds like him he walks like him carries his body like him and um he's just a wonderful sweet good human being now um we want to talk about what you're doing right now in the music business um how you introduce yourself as a professional what you've done some of the contacts or some of the people you've worked with um tell us a little bit about current day daniel fox
1: sure you know um it's funny i used to teach kids about an elevator pitch yeah. You know, how you, if you have 10 seconds to explain what you do, how you do that. And nowadays more and more, I find myself having a hard time with it um, because I do wear a lot of hats. Um, I've kind of built my career up to be somebody that, that has my toes in a lot of different parts of audio. Um, and for me, sometimes that feels a little bit overwhelming and hard to explain to other people, but at the same time, it's exciting because each day that I'm working, I have different things I'm working on. Um, even different times a year, I have different kinds of work that I'm working on, but I'll do my best. So Wondersmith Audio, my business, um, is an audio engineering, production, and consulting business. So that means that I record people's music, I record mix and master people's music. I also record things that are not music, like audio books or podcasts. Um, I also mix projects that I didn't record, right? So as a just as a mixing engineer, and uh, I have a recording studio that's in construction right now, Wonder Smith Studios. And I'm also a consultant, so I work with uh, institutions like often high schools, middle schools, but also nightclubs, recording studios, project studios, and people's homes to uh, design those spaces and to equip them with the right equipment and acoustic treatment whenever that's needed and so along with that consulting sort of design consulting piece comes retail so rather than telling people you know you probably need these things go buy them you know here's a shopping cart go buy them from some other vendor i'm able to sell those things to them so there's a sales component to that Um, and then lastly i'm still an educator that's what i started out doing i'm still doing that i teach at tufts university um, in the music engineering minor which is a collaboration between the mechanical engineering department and the music department.
0: All right, I I I know that Warner Brothers pops up on, in your resume, Comedy Central pops up in your resume, guy by the name of Ringo Star pops up in your resume, and by the by the by the way, I just want to let you know, I do have my own publishing uh label, so I know Audible is a uh, great source of um uh revenue for for book publishers. I will definitely be connecting you to some of um my authors. Um, uh, in order to uh, take advantage of this. But how does Warner Brothers Comedy Central uh, and some Uh, of these labels like
1: that? Yeah, I can talk about a few of those. You know, it's always interesting to hear how how these things fit in 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 reality because it's not, you know, it's not always like, you know, as flashy as it might sound. So I'll give you the real scoop, right? So Warner Brothers Comedy Central, Warner Brothers is part of Comedy Central. I did some albums for them in the comedy world. So comedy essentially comedy hip hop, there's an artist named Zach Sherwin, um, who produced a bunch of albums that were very successful um, in that in that world in this niche niche of comedy hip hop sort of like nerdy wordplay. And you can you can find those, you know, online. Um, And that was interesting, because it was big business in the sense that there had to be lawyers and contracts involved and, you know, um, a, a lot more of that that kind of administrative stuff then needs to take place when you're working like on the indie level with somebody where the artist is footing the bill for everything. Um, Ringo Starr is an interesting one. So I worked for the life is good company. You might know life is good. They make these t-shirts or sometimes you see people have like a spare tire on the back of their Jeep that has a life is good cover. They're kind of like, uh, you know, the motto life is good is really all about appreciating, life, um, including all of its hardship. And and uh, they built their whole brand around that. And they had a podcast called The Ping Podcast, where they'd bring in uh, folks to interview, and then they would play ping pong with them at the end of the episode. So I got to record these interviews, uh, I was the producer and engineer for those, and then also record the ping pong game and the ping, the sounds of the ping pong match were part of the podcast that was pretty fun. Um, Ringo was one of the guests, and he did not play ping pong. I think he didn't, you know, he just <laughs> didn't. He didn't feel up for the ping pong game. But we were in Hollywood, and uh, I recorded on on the dates in Hollywood. Recorded um, Michael Franti, if people know him, Michael Franti of Spearhead, as well as Ringo Starr on a couple different dates. And um, you know, it was great. It was great to meet. You know, it's a living a living legend, and he was a very kind person who was easy to work with. And I didn't record Ringo playing drums. I recorded him him talking, right? All right. Um, but it was still great to meet him. And then I think, what was the other thing you mentioned? Um, Pepsi. Uh, oh, Pepsi, yep. Yeah. So Pepsi was, there was a Sierra, Sierra Mist uh, campaign with Zach Sherwin, the comedy artist, that we did some stuff for. Um, you <laughs> can bring are... them on.
0: I'm I'm a family show.
1: <laughs> Hold on a second. Hold on a second.
0: Um, and, and just for the um, ladies and gentlemen, um, the Life is Good brand uh, is exactly that, the T-shirt brand. They have a great book out. If you want to learn how to build a brand and how to create and how to stick to something until something gets done, the Life is Good brand is a wonderful book, wonderful book. And I suggest they are they are also a um, Boston-based company. The two brothers originally got started Um working out of their um van going to colleges and um, trying to get people to wear their shirts and whatever and um uh, the name life is good basically popped up simply because they um they wanted to simplify things they were complicating like uh, uh daniel talked about getting your el- elevator spit um uh, pitch that's how they came up with the life is good um, um brand name and so forth so um, we're, we're here listening um, and learning from um, the person that's making music, making sounds and, and so forth for some big productions. Daniel Fox, for those of you guys who have just um, joined in. We're learning about his story, and his how he's come to age and how he's giving back through education and teaching young people. Um, uh, Daniel, you and have.
1: I, I remembered what you asked me about before. It was it was um, Audible. You mentioned Audible.
0: Audible. Yeah.
1: So I've done a bunch of audiobooks. Um, and, but the, the one that kind of started it for me was all souls, a family story from Southie. Um, yeah. many people may know this book. It's a, it's a national bestseller. Um, it's actually required reading in many Boston public schools and it was, um, written by Michael Patrick McDonald, who's from South Boston and grew up in the era of in, in the, in the projects in South Boston, the era of Whitey Bulger and witnessed, um, a really traumatic life experience that, you know, death and drugs and crime of his, you know, losing, losing siblings and loved ones. And, um, you know, and this is in the era of, uh, you know, the Boston busing crisis, a really, really like pretty intense time, a very, very interesting book. And even more interesting is that I got to record that audiobook with the author as the voiceover artist, which is not typically what is done. Um, typically authors, you know, they bring on a voiceover artist whose training is in reading out loud, but in this case, uh, Michael felt that the voiceover artists that were brought on for the project never had the right accent (laughs) they had, they would have like the wrong Boston accent. And he was like, no, I'm from Southie. It's got to sound like I'm from Southie. So I got to actually record him basically telling his life story, which is really intense and that was um a great experience for me also as an audio engineer um just you know i think I think sometimes people think of music production as being the sexy thing to do in audio, but um human voice is a really interesting thing to record, whether it's a book or you know an ad or um you know, or, or a hip hop track or a vocal in a song it doesn't matter. It's all, to me, all of those things are interesting.
0: Now, let me ask you a question because, um, I'm curious, I, I've got two books out on audio and I didn't record either one of them. And one of the reasons why, because I have a little bit of a, um, um, learning dis- disability one, I I'm a survivor of a traumatic um, brain in- injury. And plus I grew up with ADHD. Um, not that I can't read, um, I get very anxious and and so forth can there are a lot of people out there that you know listen to my podcast that are authors that buy books that have not gotten into the audio world how does one what is the process of, of recording an audiobook how complicated or how uncomfortable is it or how does that go i only know from let me pay someone to do it let me hire the right voice that sounds a little bit like me um uh, as mm-hmm. far as that aspect but when you're sitting in the studio with you and your crew how does that process work
1: well okay so um I've I've been involved in audiobooks from different angles. So sometimes I'm involved to do post production. So somebody may have had a microphone set up at home um, and they read they read the whole thing down and then gave it to me and I had to do lots of cleanup, editing, removing noises, uh, you know, ticks and pops and ums and ahs and background noise, and then making it sound real you know, as good as it could and clean and level and consistent, right? So that's a post-production angle. But for the example that I gave about the book, All Souls, um, we were together in the studio for, gosh, I mean, many, many, many hours because I don't know how many pages the book is, 300 or something. I mean, the time it takes for someone to read that much material, including stopping and starting and making mistakes and needing to drink water. And this is a multi-day, many, many days of work so it was just the two of us there's no need for there to be additional people in a studio when you're just recording a voiceover and i i think in the case of that one uh it's a vulnerable place to be to be reading your own personal life story so we don't want to have more people there kind of scrutinizing right and so part of my job in that process was to be as non-technical as possible and just to let him do his thing and only stop him if I really had to, um, because some of the things he's reading are difficult for him to read uh, emotionally or, you know, or otherwise uh, he would get tired. You know, anybody gets tired if reading for multiple hours out loud. Um, so it was really kind of to, to get, capture it in a natural way and stay out of the way.
0: What, what would you recommend? Um, people reading their own books or hiring a professional?
1: Hard for me to answer that question. I think that you know, hiring a professional professional voiceover actors are really really good at reading. Their enunciation, um, their reading is just really sharp and clear, easy to understand. They know how to uh, like if they have to stop and then restart again. They know how to make it sound like nothing like nothing happened, you know, to really make it seamless. Um, From a financial point of view, a professional is going to read the book much quicker than somebody who's not trained as a voiceover artist uh, or doesn't have experience as a voiceover artist. On the other hand, um, I wouldn't tell anybody not to try reading their own material um, because maybe there is, depending on what the material is, you may be able to give it some personality that another person couldn't.
0: All right. Now, um, I'm gonna ask you, you're building a new studio. Mm -hmm. So Daniel Fox is growing and thriving. Um, You are the ultimate uh, entrepreneur. Um, You're the ultimate uh, citizen. Um, I want to give you some little love. Let's talk about this building and why you're building this new studio.
1: Well, sure. Um, So, you know, I'm kind of a believer. uh, There's something about recording in in a setting that it feels more like closer to a home, than it does to an institution or a, you know, a hospital or a library or something, right? There's something about that setting that can be really, um, really free artists up. Um, Of course, there's also limitations. If you record inside your home, you've got noisy refrigerators and other people living in the house and neighbors and all kinds of things to deal with. So my goal is to build a studio that has as much of that kind of home feeling, Uh, easy natural feeling um, but is a fully professional studio so from a sound isolation point of view it's going to be extremely well isolated from things like you know vehicles passing or whatever you know somebody slams a car door nearby those things are not going to intrude in the the space inside it's the room's designed to sound really fantastic on the inside um, both for for recording and for mixing Um, And the studio is a open concept, so what that means is traditional recording studios will have a control room and a live room, so all of the gear, the, the recording equipment and the engineer, if there's a mixing board, those kinds of things are in the control room, looking through a big heavy pane of glass into live room where the musicians are performing. There are benefits to that, of course, one is that what you hear as the engineer in the control room through the speakers is representative of what those musicians sound like recorded because you're hearing the signal come through the microphones, through all of your equipment and come out of the speakers. And uh, you're hearing it the way it's gonna be, right? And that helps you make good decisions. There are also downsides. One of them, the biggest one to me is communication. So the way you communicate in a control room setting is you have two choices. One is you press a button for a talkback microphone so when then when you speak you go through a microphone and you come into their headphones and you hope that everybody has their headphones on and then they can hear you and you have whatever conversation you need to have or you can leave the room go through your heavy studio doors however many there are and go talk to them and then go back into the room Um a little bit cumbersome although it's necessary the other thing is that when you're inside what i've noticed as because i'm also a musician what i've noticed is that when the engineer is inside that room, you, if they're talking to, say, an assistant, you can't hear what they're saying, right? So there's this element of, for lack of a better word, secrecy, where mm-hmm. there's two rooms and you don't like. As the engineer, I'm listening to you, the musicians. I hear, I can hear everything you do, but you're not listening to me. And there's something about that that is like, you know, I think sometimes makes people feel uneasy, especially um, maybe younger people and more less experienced musicians. But the benefit of the open concept, which is what I'm building, is that it takes those things away. So um, the recording area is in the same space as all the musicians. We can do a take, I'll wear headphones during the take so that speakers aren't in the room making sound. And then when I finish the take, I just swivel around in my chair and say, you know, how did? what do you think? How was that? And we can just have a conversation. It's much more fluid, artistic, and production conversation, in my opinion. All right um it's in it by the way it's in an old barn oh, studio old is barn. being built in, in an old barn
0: and where is it located if you don't mind me asking
1: it's it's here in acton massachusetts
0: all right all right hopefully um i'll get a chance to um come up to see it i'm going to come back up for the film festival uh in june i don't know if you're going to be around for the boston film festival
1: uh i should be i'm not sure uh, you know i have to look at those dates but you know acton's only 25 minutes from from cambridge mm-hmm. um right out route two it's So the nice thing about it is that it's far enough away that it feels like you kind of, as an artist, kind of got away from the city to do some, to make to make your art or to do your recording, but it's close enough that it's not like, you know, you're going on a long trip.
0: Yeah, I I know you said you wear a lot of hats and I know a lot of young people are trying to find themselves, especially after COVID. Um, A lot of people have changed professions. Um, I noticed that when I came up, um, a couple of weeks ago in Boston, I had learned that a lot of people that were well established in the film industry were people that hadn't studied or had any background, had gotten hands-on experience and worked their way up to the system. How does someone break into the business that you're in? Um, do you take on an apprentice? Um, How does that happen? How does someone connect with you if they're looking for um, opportunities?
1: There, there's a lot of different ways to do it. There isn't one path. So there are degrees that you can get in audio engineering um there are fantastic schools all over the country and there's and many people have done it that way and and i i think it's great i have nothing bad to say about that at all um that wasn't my path uh historically you would go to a big studio you would become an intern right an unpaid intern um and you would you know mop floors and make coffee and eventually somebody got sick and you took over for the day and then next thing you know became an assistant engineer Now, in 2023, I think we've become a little wiser and we're having conversations about the privilege involved in being an unpaid intern, because if you can't afford to take work that doesn't pay, that means that you have a safety net, right? Whereas somebody who needs to make money to work couldn't get that opportunity, right? Because you couldn't, how are you going to put food on the table? And um, people are turning away from unpaid internships and realizing that we need to pay people for their work no matter how beginner they are. Um, So there are paid internships. There are, you know, you could call it an apprenticeship if you like. It's kind of like that um, at a lot of the major studios. You know, for me, I'm a smaller um, sort of entity. I'm not like a big multi-room studio. So we'll see once I open how get into the swing of things like how much additional engineering help that I'll, that I'll need. They'll there may be, uh, some of that here as well, but, um, I came at it from, as a musician. So, and a lot of people do, a lot of people are musicians and they, I gotta, I gotta record something. I gotta get some equipment and, you know, maybe I'm making a demo or something and they just do it because they have to on their own. And then if they like that, maybe it grows from there. Maybe other people ask you to record them. And then, you know, like for me, that turned into a career.
0: All right. Um, I want to ask you um, a personal question. I have this in my notes. Audio Engineering Society, you have a role in that. And um, you elaborate on that?
1: Sure, sure. That's not personal. Okay. <laughs> but, um, I mean, it, it, it's... Uh, you know, I guess my personal life and my professional life are pretty intermingled at this point. But yeah, Audio Engineering Society is a professional organization, professional society that's been around for 75 years and um, has sections all over the world. It's a worldwide organization. They're known for uh, the conference they, conferences they put on in New York and L.A. every year um, that bring together audio professionals from all over the world and manufacturers and you know, academics and all kinds of people to learn from each other, but at the uh, local section level here where we have a Boston section, um, it's actually a regional section because um, the next section over is New York. So people from Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and Massachusetts are all part of the Boston section. And it's an opportunity for social networking with, you know, in person, um, networking with fellow audio professionals, which is something that if you're like me, if you're self-employed and a lot of your work is happening alone, um, it's really great to be able to meet other audio professionals and compare notes and chat. And it also is an opportunity to to grow professional development, to learn new things. So we'll be putting on workshops and you know guest lectures and things like that where people can learn about emerging technologies or um, you know, different people's stories about how they got into this business and things like that. I am currently um, co-chairing the Boston section of the Audio Engineering Society, along with Malik Williams, who's a um, uh, film composer and post-production um, professional here in, in Boston. All right. And also he, Malik's part of the the uh, the organization that put on the event where you met me, Kevin.
0: All right. All right. Yeah, I, I met Malik. So, I get two more questions. One, I'm going um that's a nice segue of how do people get in touch with you? Cuz now you have everyone's got pad and pen, pencil and they're saying, you know, sure, I Sure, sure.
1: Like the web, the website's the easiest. So it's wondersmithaudio.com. W O N D E R S M I T H A U D I O. wondersmithaudio.com.
0: All right. Now, I'm going to ask you two more questions. Um one is going to be a little personal. Um so um, you know, Feel free to shut me up or whatever the case may be. And the the other question, I've only, both of these questions, I've only asked to um, very very rare people. The first question I'm going to ask you, I've only asked to one person, Dave Sanderson. He was the last person to get off a, a plane that crashed in the Hudson. Um, yeah. if, you, if your children, you know, 20, 40 years, were sitting on the beach and a bottle popped up on the beach with a note in it, and the note was from, from you. All right, what what lessons of life and what message would you leave to your, your children? And what would you like your children to remember most about you? And what would you put in that bottle for your children?
1: Hmm. Um, wow, no pressure, huh?
0: <laughs> I told you it's gonna be personal.
1: Well, my answer is actually pretty simple. Um, I would say something along the lines of have fun or don't forget to have fun. Because I think... Um, it 's an anxious time for for kids for young you know for teens for young adults everybody and people are trying to figure out how do they craft their career or their personal brand or whatever it is and all of these things but um, in everything I do whether it 's recording or teaching audio, I think it 's really important to have fun. Um, the reason that I do audio stuff is because I find it really fun, the same way my four year old finds a new You know, Lego toy, so exciting. That's how I feel about you know recording people's music and microphones and stuff like that. So I think you know we adults can be really serious, um, (laughs) and we need to sometimes take a deep breath and step back from that. So I would, my little note in the bottle would say, "Have fun." All right. My my fortune fortune cookie message, I guess.
0: All right. So to your children, I hope that um, when you play this back one hundred years from now, that you'll remember Dad said, "Have fun." Now. I have a very rare show opportunity. Um, you know, I always say that I, I when I started this whole podcast business itself, I didn't want to be the most popular. I didn't want to have a million followers, or whatever. It would be nice to have. But just like my social circle, just like you are within that social circle, I only want to surround myself with, with genuine people, people that have a higher call to action. The people that watch my show, that subscribe to RMK Productions and Network. They are not the type of people that just like and put emojis or whatever case may be. If there's a car accident, they stop to help. They get involved. And um, I've had four people since I've started this podcast, I'm going into my second year, that someone has answered the wish that's connected to this question, um, just a random stranger. And I know a lot of people go through their whole life and never have one uh, dream come true. If I were to ask you if you had one ask a s k one thing that you can put out in the world and that someone else could assist you help you, or grant you that wish, what would your ask be a s k
1: um that's a that's a tough question you know i um you know i mean i don't i really i don't feel like I need <laughs> um anything i feel i feel really fortunate you know what i mean and i would i would rather I'm at a place in my life where I'd rather help somebody else find direction so I could turn your question around on you and say I'd ask that they let me help them um but that more and more as I get older, it's all about this sort of networking social connection realizing that we're all we're all in this together we're all doesn't really matter what your career is um the kinds of things that we care about and what we're trying to do they're all related so I just want people to connect on that level and and kind of zoom out to the bigger picture of um yeah I you know that sounds really touchy-feely but
0: no you, you know something Daniel that's the reason why I was hounding you to be on this show from the day that I met you you were a genuine person I that came out from the time you gave your opening opening presentation to the time you and I sat down and and shook hands for the first time. And that's the reason why I have this show. You are one of those people that people should know, not just because of the opportunity that presents itself. You're just a good person. You've established yourself in a position to where you're giving back and you're giving back, asking for nothing in return. And the answer to that question is a direct reflection of the type of man you are the type of father you are, the type of friend you are, and your commitment to making this planet and people better. And that's the reason why I had you on this show. Um, You're a gift, Daniel. You're a gift to this world.
1: Well, Kevin, you know, I really appreciate that. It's very nice of you. You know, I would say that people go through stages in their lives, right? Sometimes people need more help and sometimes people need less help, right? So it can all change on a, it can change in a moment, right? So, um, I have had times in my life where I where I needed help, right? And I was very fortunate to get the help that I needed. And um, you know, we're all here, we're all in this together. So, um, if we all kind of remember that that when we're able to give back, we should be doing so. And when and when we need something, we should ask. Right?
0: You're exactly right. And so that my last question um, would be, uh, and I think you just answered it. Is... For our listeners, what would you like them to take away from this interview and um, understanding and knowing what Daniel Fox is as a person as well as what he does for a living? What would you like them to take away from this interview?
1: Um, You know, I don't know exactly who all of the listeners will be, but I imagine some of them might be young people um, thinking about where they're going with their careers. Um, And as somebody who has, like, really... Like, if you look at my, if you follow my resume back, it kind of, it just looks like a snaky path, you know, like, how did I get to where I am here? And I think the lesson there is that um, you don't have to choose what you're going to do for your whole life when you're like 18 or 21 years old. You don't, don't, you shouldn't feel pressure to do that. Things can change, you can change, and if you're a motivated and smart person, um, you'll be able to be successful at doing many different kinds of things. But if you have the opportunity to do something um, that you enjoy doing that and that you're good at, and somebody's willing to pay you to do it, well, that's that's the dream right there, you know. Um, uh, but I think there's many different paths. That's, I guess that's my statement is there's many different paths. Everybody has their own path. Um, it's not always college. It's not always directly into the career they end up in. We got to find our way however we get there. And sometimes the people that when people go through hardship and take interesting paths to get to the destination, they have a lot of interesting stories to tell. So
0: Daniel, I want to thank you personally for taking time out of your day. I know you're a busy man. To our listeners, if you want to get in touch with Daniel, go to www.wondersmithaudio.com and you can reach him directly on there. And his Instagram is wonders at wondersmith.com. Daniel, um, like well, it?
1: actually, it's at Wondersmith Audio
0: at Wondersmith Audio. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for correcting me um, again to our listeners. We covered a lot of information. We got a chance to know Daniel Fox as not only as a person, but as a father, a friend. We've got a chance to, to have a little sneak peek as to how his business works, his future ventures. And I hope um, we've enlightened you at some point. Um, if you like what you've heard, please go to www.wondermithaudio.com rmkproductions.org and, um, you know, subscribe, follow, or go to our uh, YouTube page, RMK Productions and Network and subscribe and follow. Uh, Again, uh, I want to thank you, Daniel. My grandfather always said when you get to a point in life, you can help someone else. He said it's your duty to do so. He says reach one, teach one. And with that said, we'll fade to black and we're out.